new podcast. We talk about movies. What, what if, if this was people's first podcast, like first time tuning into Side Talks? That would be the weirdest. I'm terrified to. to that'd be guess. the weirdest voice. I'm, well, they, I'm, they've turned it off already. They they I heard that. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. Doesn't you don't know that? Some people like that voice. Well, that's. Do they? Probably. I can imagine it. Podcast at sidewalkfesta.com <laughs> if you like that voice. It would be yeah. Hashtag keep the voice or hashtag you know throw the voice out. Is anybody looking for a phone um, customer service rep because I'm looking for a job? Oh, my God. Who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm here to talk about movies and make stupid voices. I'm Corey Kraft. I'm here to talk about movies and chew bubble gum, and yeah. I'm all out of bubble gum. And sing seal songs. Let's go. For over one million years, Rachel and Corey have talked. And now they share with you one of the greatest accomplishments of all time. Their list of the top 200 films. What an intro. Love it, love it, love it. Oh boy. I'm going to let you lead. Okay. I think you're going to... I know you have an issue with a couple of films that are here coming up for me in the next eight. Well, I don't know for sure that you have an issue with mine, but let's assume so, because that seems to be yeah. a, a, a constant. Yeah. Uh, if you have an, an issue with number 48, the film I'm listen, uh, leading off with here, I'm going to be super pissed off. Let's hear it. David Fincher's Zodiac. Sam? God almighty, are you kidding me? Uh, Zodiac is one of the it's best. It's so not good. It's, and you know who's in it? Your little tiny bitch that you keep in your pocket. Which tiny bitch? I've got so many tiny bitches in this movie. I got tiny bitches for days in this movie because this cast is stacked. So many great actors. And yeah, Jackie G, Jake Gyllenhaal is one of them. Jakey, got, Jakey, Jakey. You got, you got Downey, you got Ruffalo, you got Brian Cox, it's you got good. Anthony Edwards, you got, uh, uh, just as many character actors as a film could possibly handle in one of the best true crime journalism movies ever made. I am outraged, but you know what? This is typical. Never mind. I'm not outraged. This is typical. Of course. We'll fight about. Oh, I want to fight about this right now. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, Zodiac, great movie. What's yeah. your 48? Sam, you got that note right. We're, we're on that. Um, that thing is just a. Boner. Out. It's a boner of a film. Just. Number 48 on my list is a classic called Sling Blade. Mm, like them French fried potatoes. I mean, I like Sling Blade. Zodiac is I like the way you talk. And also Sh- shouldn't has. Shouldn't have done that. He's just a boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So quotable. So weird. In some, so many ways. Great classic Southern story. And a, an amazing performance from, am I right? Dwight Yoakam? Oh, Dwight Yoakam's great in Sling yeah, Blade. He's just amazing. John Ritter's really good. You got Duvall for like a scene. So I mean, yeah, another stacked cast. Billy Bob Thornton might be a dick, but he's great in this film and it's a great work of art. Would you call Tom Petty a dick? That's a reference I, to a, an interview. You, never mind. I, yeah, but I wouldn't. I, I, I personally would not. But I would call I would call old boy one. Um, one other thing, too, is I actually think Dwight Yoakam, and you tell me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. I actually think Dwight Yoakam's performance in this, while it is, while it is very earnestly straight, right, yes. is super funny. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of dark comedy in this movie. When he's like, hey, I'm thinking about getting the boys together tonight. 
I, I just crack up every time because everybody's reaction to it too is like they cloven him nails on a chalkboard because it yeah. means he's going to be in the backyard playing with his shitty band. I don't know. It's just uh, there's some there are some sort of running strange funny southern jokes that hit hit really well. I think. Anyway, I love this film. My number forty eight, way better than your number forty eight. Keep going. <sighs> okay, number forty seven. I mean, I'd I'd worry if you were um, going to have some outrageously negative response to this, but I'm pretty sure it's already popped up on your list. It is Michel Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great film. Yeah, it's the best. Charlie Kaufman finally won an Oscar for it. Uh, great Jim Carrey. Great Kate Winslet. Great everything and everyone. Another Mark Ruffalo movie, too. That's two in a row on my list. Uh, he's maybe the weakest link. Sam, 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 write down Mark Ruffalo. My, write down Mark Ruffalo because I'm going to defend Mark Ruffalo one day. You keep going. You keep on. Just keep on because who won the fight this last time about Baywatch? <sighs> about Baywatch of all things. Are you, I mean, absurd. I, oh, I, nobody better talk bad about my Jakey Gyllenhaal. <laughs> all right. My number, <laughs> my number, 47 number 47 is one you're going to agree with. Okay. And there's only so much I can say about it because it's all been said before. But it is the amazing, the one and only Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. We might hear more about that soon. I would imagine so. But, well, not too soon. Kind of a while, actually. But we'll get there. Yeah. I figured it was way further up. But it's a great, it's a great film. And really sad and dark in some ways. But yep. but painted so beautifully anyway like i said i'm not going to say anything about this film or wes anderson for that matter that other folks haven't said there's about a gazillion amazing visual essays on this film go watch them watch the film it's great well for number 46 if there was ever going to be a visual essay uh made about this movie uh due to (laughs) stuff uh we'll never see it or hear it um it's a movie called the purple rose of cairo from 1985 or something starring mia farrow and jeff daniels a wonderful movie a, a love letter to the power of cinema an absolutely great movie that just so happens to be written and directed by you know woody allen um that little bitch seems to really take up some real estate on your list. There's you at least one more to come. There's at least oh, one man. more to come. Um, I'm not saying I don't have a problem with it. I just wish that he did not write and direct so many movies that I like because, I, geez. I just, you cannot mention his name without me going ahead and saying the gentleman is a pedophile. I mean, he's not, he's, yeah, he he's, not, he's, not, he's not a good guy's dude. Guy's a skis ball. Seems, seems pretty bad. Seems like a lot of evidence mounting against him in the, this guy is a pretty bad guy sort of situation. But if you're um, tired of hearing it, I can't help it. I'm going to, anytime anyone mentions his name, I'm going to just remind everybody that the guy is a skeezy motherfucker who should be in prison. Go ahead. No, it's your turn. What's your number 46? Oh, that's right. My number 46 is not a film by Woody Allen, but I'm about to get in trouble because, eek, there's some problems here. Okay. It is blue as the warmest color. Well, we fought about it. You know my position on the I matter. I do. I um, do. I, I come back to the film time and time again. I yeah. think it's a lovely film. I want to acknowledge that the uh, that the very talented young women in this film have expressed that there were problems that they experienced while making this film, and that is not okay. Um, but it is still, in my opinion, a great film and similar to the struggles that you have placing that man who married his own daughter uh, films on your list. This one has has made its way. I will say probably would have been further up the list if this thing had been on the up and up. But I do I do stand with these women to say that that's not OK to make anyone feel uncomfortable 
just for the sake of making art. Sure. So, yeah. Anyway, and it's, it's a bad awesome. movie. So what are you going to do? Not a bad movie, but we've, but see see our previous fight, um, and also see other previous fights that involve films with lesbians that aren't in period costume. Oh God. <laughs> Corey tends to dislike any modern day lesbian film. We Go are ahead. we are dredging up the hits. I, <laughs> the, every, we, this is just this is just so amped up. I don't understand how we got here, but here we are. Okay, there, that's if you fine. could clone Jake Gyllenhaal and have Jake Gyllenhaal make out with Jake Gyllenhaal, Corey would love it. I yeah, mm, <laughs> I don't know why Jake Gyllenhaal like like almost all of a sudden I'm the standard carrier for Jake Gyllenhaal. Like I've got his fucking face tattooed on my chest or something what if you like i think jake gillen right a fine actor but no like this is what i'm gonna be like judged for judging me for the woody allen movie i at least that's understandable not, i get I'm that i'm actually not I, judging you but, for it but i I'm understand him for it sure i understand where you're coming from though when you're like yeah that guy's a skeevy asshole like yeah sure he is but the jack gillen jack jake gyllenhaal thing like that seems a little <laughs> come on come on all right um, even though, yeah, again, great, great actor, uh, who we fought about number 45, this, uh, the filmmakers aren't controversial. I don't know how you feel about this film. Um, but I know that you love these filmmakers, Joel and Ethan Cohen. They've Do come up them. once or twice and will come up again. This film, however, uh, a really formative film for me, maybe the first film by them that I ever saw. So it has a special place in my heart and it is a film called, Oh brother, where art thou? They're yeah. a musical comedy set in the Great Depression in the South uh, with that great bluegrass soundtrack. A great film, a film that people like a lot more than I like. I figured as much, but I, I really do love it. I'm not, it is a great film. It's just for me personally, it does not land high on my Coen Brothers list, but That's fair. I appreciate it. But it it would be in that, you know, when we did, I don't know if it landed there at Filmmaker Lightning Round, but it would definitely be one of those. People like this film more than me. Yeah, yeah. In the comments. Um, my number forty-five, which there's probably a lot of people out there who like this film more than me, and would put it higher up on the list than forty-five, and that is *The Silence of the Lambs*. I'm one of them. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Going to be higher on my list, um, but damn, what a great movie! It's a great film. Yeah. And a great performance. Really, through. I mean, really great performances throughout. But Jodie Foster is a, just an all-time great performance. Amazing, there. amazing performance in this film, and some just lovely, wonderful editing and storytelling in general mm-hmm. great film yep uh 44 is from the entirely non-problematic charlie chaplin nobody do any research on that by the way um <laughs> it's it's right. it's his his masterpiece city lights um one of the great silent comedies ever made the little tramp falls in love with a blind girl during the depression and tries to you know tramp his way into raising money for a uh, uh, eyesight restoring um operation for her he befriends a drunken suicidal millionaire slapstick mayhem ensues it's one of the funniest movies ever made but also has one of the most melancholy and sort of heartbreaking final sequences ever i mean it's a, it's just great yeah it is great my number 44 is a major tonal shift from that and that is patty jenkins monster man i love monster i love it's monster a great film. so much uh, when I saw I saw this movie for the first time when it was released theatrically and it played at the the Galleria yep. Theater in here in Birmingham, yep. um, and I saw I it, saw it there as well. I saw it actually in New York. It was oh, right nice. around the time I moved back, and yeah. I saw it in New York. And when, I liked it so much, I went to the theater again to yeah. see it. It's so good, and like you know, it's good 
for reasons that aren't surrounding, you know, the the salacious serial killerness of it all. The the relationship that the movie establishes between Charlize Theron as Eileen Warnos and the Christina Ricci character. Yeah, the skating rink scene. The skating is rink just scene is the best. It is the best. I watched that movie and I was like, you know, that sequence happens. It's just it it it's pure transportive cinema, and when you really know, is when it Theron really is. went on to win the Oscar for that movie, I mean that was just the biggest no brainer ever. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a fantastic right choice there. Yeah. Just her in the bathroom in the mirror. There's yep. so many things here that make this film an incredible film, hard to watch, sure, and yet somehow really watchable. Yep, and just it's it's so watchable and so experiential that I actually have trouble revisiting it. Yeah, if that makes sense. It does, and including the scene, I one of the greatest scenes I think is the is the turning point in the film when things kind of go from. It, somehow she manages, Patty Jenkins manages to take this film and really give us this sort of whirlwind of romance. And so you're in a you're in a serial killer, and I'm going to put that in quotes because, by definition, it's true. But you're in a serial killer film, and yet you spend the first part of this thing as a tragic story that has some comedic elements. Yes. Elements. The montage where she's looking for a job is really funny. Mm-hmm. And then, but you you know, sort of a love story. And then it takes a turn. And the moment when it takes a turn is when there's a, there's a bit of a car accident. Yes. And that moment when she's telling her to take a right. And that moment in the car is, I, if you're, if anybody there is doing research to look at how do you make a tonal shift in a film, that is a great moment to go take a look at. Yeah. Just an amazing, amazing piece of work. And let's remember, this is from a first-time featured film director. Who then went on, despite her film winning an Oscar, to not make another feature film for 14 fucking years. Isn't that nuts? It's nuts. But then when she makes another film, it's fucking Wonder Woman. Yeah. So... It's. I'd love to know what's going. What happened in those years with Patty Jenkins? Why she held in that way? It. it it's an interesting story. I think probably biographically for her, but but really great film. And I wish she was more prolific. And I wish she had done more between indie. Really come, came out of nowhere. Indie to blockbuster superhero. I know she did some television. Like she, yeah, did, she did some episodes yeah. of that show, The Killing, and I think you know she got a lot of attention for that. And she was supposed to direct a Marvel movie, the second Thor movie, because Natalie Portman really wanted her, right? Really wanted a female director for that movie, but really, really wanted Patty Jenkins. And whatever ha- you know, whatever went Who wrong knows? there, it, it just collapsed. Like they hired some TV jobber to direct that movie, and Natalie Portman subsequently was so pissed off she she bailed interesting i did not um, know that she's coming back because taika waititi the aforementioned in a previous episode is returning to direct the for the fourth four thor movie and thor ragnarok was so weird and special right uh i guess that lured portman back but a lot of false starts for patty jenkins unfortunately i re- kind of regret that we have lost her to blockbuster filming I entirely so, i mean I'm happy for her to go there, but yes. I wish we would have had more from her because I she's. I think she's her. I think her. I think she's an indie filmmaker. I think you see that that sort of vibe in some of the in some of the elements of Wonder Woman, but I think we've lost a lot. Yes, when we lost the whatever films would have taken place between those two. But uh, yes, the last, strongly agree. Talking a long time about this, it's deserved, but I'm still talking a long time about this. But um, yeah, I just her, she's indie sensibility, I think, but. What I what I want to say lastly about this film is that I, I as I mentioned I saw this opening night. Yeah. Well, I don't think I said specifically, but no, I saw you this in you New saw York. It in New York opening night. Opening night, and nice, they had nice. oversold the cinema, or people had snuck in. I don't know which it was, or somebody you know was just not moving to the center like they ask everybody to. And, sure. and I didn't have a seat, 
And so I, for this first time I saw this film, I sat next to the person I was there with and I sat on a step <laughs> and used their, used their cup holder to put my little soda in or whatever and sat on a step and watched this film. But I didn't have a moment of I'm uncomfortable. I want to get out of here. We should wait and see it later. It is that exper- experiential of a film that I sat on a step. Yeah. I guarantee it wasn't comfortable and watched this film with my jaw dropped. I mean, I, it, it is a vivid memory for me seeing this movie for the first time in a theater and that was 17 or 18 years ago yeah so like i mean it just there there are moments in this movie and it's not a movie i've seen recently because like you said it's kind of a hard one to go back and revisit it really is um but there there are sequences in this movie that that i can clearly remember it's a very powerful experience Agreed. great movie. i mean i'm glad to talk about monster right you know really really great movie um my number 43 Another great film, but tone, tonally different, um, from Mr. Uh, Steven Spielberg, um, and it's a film called E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, great film. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's a great film. Okay, hot take. Is this the best score for a movie ever written? Maybe. I, I, don't, I don't think I would go – you know what? I don't think I'd go on the record – to say it's that, hard man. because even like John Williams has pretty stiff competition himself, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. there is something about the music for this movie. I mean, I feel like 90% of this movie's power comes from John Williams. Yeah. I, it's just extraordinary work. It's a great, it's a great film. I watched it for, uh, many, many years ago for sort of after having not seen it for many, many years and was just so dazzled by it. Yep. I'll tell you a really funny story really quickly about seeing this in the theater because I am that old, y'all. I am that old that I saw E.T. Now, I was very young, but I did see E.T. in the theater and what a treat it was. And there had been a lot of talk about it and I had already gotten some Reese's Pieces gifts. Sure. I mean, the, the machine that had all of this shit out around at the marketing toys and whatnot was really at work and so everybody already knows what et looks like but hasn't see, really has seen him in toy form and hasn't seen him on the screen yeah okay so we go and it's packed everybody can't wait for et to come on and there's like a country grandma we're in texas so it's like a texas grandma in front in the seat in front of me have i told you the story no before? So it's country grandma in front of us and we're getting ready to watch et you know everybody's hyped and she's with her grandkids and so the f- first time E.T. comes on the screen in full E.T. form, she turns to her grandchild and shrugs her shoulder and goes, I don't know. Looks kind of like Cobra to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I will never – I mean, I was young, but I was like, holy <laughs> shit. I don't know. Looks kind of like a Cobra to me. I feel like her review of the film – just, just let's leave it there. An unimpressed old woman <laughs> who's just like, I've seen better. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, anyway, E.T. is a great film. Don't let her review. No, it's not going to sway me. I'm sorry. Oh, is it my turn? Yep. It's my turn. I keep, I keep fucking up today. I wonder why. <laughs> could it be that I haven't slept in a week? It could be. Um, my number 43 is a film from 1980. Am I on, on the right film number, yep. right? Number yep. 43. And it is a film called Foxes. Yeah, I know you like this. I've never seen it. I think you should see it, yeah. Corey. I really do. I think it's a different film than what you think it is. Yeah, you know, it, it was really kind of first put on my radar uh, by the late, great 80s All Over podcast, yes. uh, where I heard them talk about it, and it kind of piqued my interest, And you know, as so many films that the, those folks talked about on the podcast did, um, but it's not one that I have caught up with. 
there are a couple of scenes in this film that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. I think about them very frequently. They are fucking haunting. Mm. And then there are a couple of beautiful scenes as well that one of which involves just like a moment where Jodie Foster kind of gets home from a long day. This is teenager life and the it came out in 1980 but it's very much a, a time capsule of the 1970s sure. the late 1970s and she's kind of come home from being out with her friends she puts on like Boston on the stereo and <laughs> sits down on the couch and it's just this shot of her in her home it is really dark it is at the same time somehow really lively and interesting and mm-hmm. it has a young Scott Bayo, a very young Jodie Foster even though we see Jodie Foster much younger of course in a lot of Disney stuff but a very different young Jodie sure, Foster sure 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 and it's directed by I always want to call him Adrian Lynn but I believe it's Adrian Lyon I forgot that he directed this yeah it it's a it is a also an interesting small role played by Randy Quaid. Mm-hmm. I am trying to convince you to watch this. I, I mean, think that you're going to really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I should I should check it out. I love Adrian Lyon. I mean, you know, within reason, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. A purveyor of some pretty fun trash, like yes. Fatal Attraction. Um, but I, I should check this out. And this has some trashy moments, but overall, great film. And I think you'll see what I mean once you've seen it. Also, great soundtrack, great opening. It is a film that I saw at a very young age. That was another one of those things that gave me a window into the world of what I thought it was going to be like to be a teenager. And I was couldn't wait. And when you see this and you think <laughs> about little me being like, I can't wait to be a teenager, you're going to be like, what the fuck was wrong with you? Or or is it just going to explain like everything? <laughs> it might do that too. Yeah, yeah. It is a time capsule of a film. It's hard for me to take out of context having seen this so young and so repeatedly and finding it really funny, but also really captivating and dark. So anyway, I won't say a whole lot more if this is a film you haven't seen i highly recommend seeing it would love to hear what you think because again it's hard for me i don't i don't have any context for it yeah aside from you know like like you would looking back on that era so to speak yeah i should check it out i'll add it to my to my watch list yeah it's a great film Number 42, nothing like hanging out with the boys, cracking open, uh, cracking open a couple of uh, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbons, huffing some nitrous oxide, and getting one of your good friends to sing the candy-colored clown. Sing oh, the candy-colored clown. I'm talking, of course, about David Lynch's Blue Velvet. The one and only. The one, the only. What if small towns were uh, sordid and terrifying in a very uh, a, a thin veneer of respectability, but rotting moral decay just under the surface, personified, of course, here by Dennis Hopper's Frank Booth in one of the scariest performances yeah. ever committed to film. God bless Isabella Rossellini, too, yes. for doing the absolute most that anybody has ever been asked to do <laughs> in a movie. By her boyfriend. By her boyfriend. Uh, but, you know, um, <laughs> that doesn't always work out, <laughs> as, right. as history has shown. That's very true. Uh, but it sure did work out for Blue Velvet. It is one of the... Um, just one of the most daring works of cinema to come out of uh, totally. America in the 1980s. I mean, what can you say about it? It's just the best. It's just the best. And let's acknowledge how strange this film was when it came out. Right. I, so many copycat things have happened, but you cannot – You again, this is one that's – some of these films that are on our list, it's so hard to take out of context. But the first time I saw this thing, I was like, what in the hell? This is <laughs> this is brilliant nothing could possibly prepare you for it no it doesn't because there was nothing like it there's There's still nothing like it. nothing like it there are some copycats that everybody goes oh it's very blue velvet of of that person but this thing is a standalone it is an amazing film it is is in the canon holding strong and it it felt to me 
and again, you're so much younger than me, but it felt to me like it came out of nowhere. I mean, it really did. It felt like it came out of nowhere. Just came out of uh, Mr. Lynch's beautiful mind. Right. We're going to hear more about him. I am sure we will. Um, great film. My number 42 is a very, another tonal, another, we're going to get, you know, sort of whiplash here. Yeah. Um, Hustlers. Woo. And we've talked about this film. We have. It's so good. I don't need to go, you know, down this road too far, but I do think it's a great film. I do think it's, it's really well directed, uh, really well performed. I love so many things about it yeah. and it's just captivating as hell. Still complete horseshit that Jennifer Lopez didn't get an Oscar nomination Agreed. for it. She is great. She's in this film. so She's great. Good. In this film. All right. I'm going to close out this set on my list with my number 41. I mean, look, it's, White Dudes in a Room Talking, but it's yeah. perhaps the best White Dudes in a Room Talking movie ever made. There are 12 of them. They're angry. Oh, it's boy. Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men. Okay. Yeah, you're going for a classic there on the landing. This, gotcha. this is actually the movie that made me interested as a child in older films because gotcha. I, was, I was just so kind of blown away by the intelligence of the screenplay and the performances. And there's a moment where, you know, Henry Fonda's character is trying to convince his fellow jurors of the reasonable doubt against convicting a, a young uh, teenager who I believe is a, a Puerto Rican teenager. He's a minority. I right. mean, that, that that's a pretty significant point in the film that it's a jury of, you know, middle-aged grumpy white dudes who don't really care about this. And Henry Fonda is sort of the guy taking it upon himself to give voice to the reasonable doubt. Um, and he, you know, he pulls out a switchblade at one point that is meant to be exculpatory evidence. Um, and it's just one of the, it's just like lightning struck me as a child when I saw this for the first time. Is it particularly cinematic or filled with action or anything like no. that? No, no, of course not. It, it's, it's based on a play. Lumet largely films it like a play, but there's something about that moment where I was just, I was stunned by it. I was absolutely stunned by the screenplay building to that moment, by all the performances, including from Fonda building to that moment. It's, I mean, obviously still one of my favorite movies. I yeah. can't say enough good things about it. Cool. Um, my number 41 is a very controversial pick and uh, one I don't uh, think you're going to fully agree with, uh, maybe at all. And that is, let me set the tone here. This is pre-September 11th, 2001, right? This is prior to the sort of attack on the World Trade Center. Very specific era in time, but also it is, I think, 1999. So we're right, you know, about to cross the threshold to 2000. This film feels very much like a, a, a piece from that moment. And that is directed by Sam Mendes, yeah. American Beauty. <sighs> I I would need to go back and revisit this. Um, I would five-minute fight you on this like a motherfucker. Well, so the thing is, like, I... I don't want to dislike American Beauty because I was so convinced that I had seen a a really profound statement on American life and culture when I first saw this movie, you know, around the time it came yeah. out. Like yeah. I, I you like loved a lot of it. critics have taken have turned their back on this film. And I don't this is what's interesting to me about that. It's not the fact that I think this film is profound right. that I like it. I don't think the film is particularly profound at all. I think the paper bag scene feels very much. I don't take it with that. I don't take it with that with that kind of earnestness. I, I uh -huh. take it as 
how a teen, how a young teen boy who thinks he's smarter than he is yeah. would look at something like that. And that's always the way I've taken it. I what I love about this film is actually the simplicity of it mm-hmm. and the fact that that's kind of the overall point. The overall point is a lot of our life and the things that we do on my way here today. When I was walking across the street back from the cinema, I was in a bit of a haze. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, I feel stressed out. I'm back to teaching. I am. I know I'm going on a sidetrack here. But, no, no. But um, I'm back to teaching. The festival's coming up. I am. I'm all over the place. And I, I stepped into the street and almost got hit by a car. Yikes. They ran a red light. It was right by your, where you used to live. Yeah. And I had just a moment of of seeing just a second of what it might be like if that had gone mm-hmm. just two steps further end of a street. And that's what this film is to me. Yeah. This film is, is it, it does something that I think cinema has a special ability to do. And it, it gives you a moment to say you're, we're alive right now. And that's fucking something. And I don't see many works of art that do that. And this film does. And it's not about being, that's, that's what's funny is it's really just a kind of a simple little statement. It's just a breathe and, and for, and don't forget that we're not here for long. That's a really compelling defense of that movie, I have to say. I I should rewatch it. Yeah, that in let mind. me know what you think because yeah. I think we've taken it too seriously in some ways. In other ways, it, so it is. It's it's in some ways the simplest, dumbest thing, and in some in some ways it is the the most important and greatest thing. So anyway, I love the film for that okay. very reason. All right, that's where we'll land it. Yep, that is uh, this installment of our top two hundred. Went kind of long on that. Started yelling oh, yeah, about Zodiac. Ended <laughs> contemplating the nature of existence. But that's the you know that's the the side talks ride you take every time you listen to this podcast. That's what we do. Uh, email us at podcast at sidewalkfilm.com with your thoughts. Yeah. And now fast film terms. Ooh, that was a fast film term. Yeah, it just got right past us. I'm doing a unique, a very special, if you will, okay. fast film terms today. We'll get moving quickly, but the sound that you just made is not just a fast film term this time around, uh-huh. but it's the sound of space. The sound of space. It is the sound of space. I want to do a couple of Star Trek terms for you nerds out there. Okay. I didn't know what these were. I don't watch Star Trek. You like Star Trek a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I have a passing, yeah. Do you know what mind meld is? The 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 Vulcan mind meld where I'm assuming. Uh, Spock can meld his mind. I don't, I, I'm not enough of a Trekkie to give you a definition of it, but I've seen it in action in those movies. Okay, well, here's what a mind meld is. Okay. In the Star Trek universe, a telepathic union between two beings. In general use, a deep understanding. Okay, yeah, So checks out. There's that one. Okay, yep. so now we're all better for that. We can all go to Dragon Con sure, now. Sure, sure, sure. I actually think you have to know more than that to yeah, really go to Dragon but They won't let you in the doors unless you can define that. Do you... Do you know what a star date is? This one's a little wild. Well, um, I mean, I know of it because in Kirk's captain's logs uh, and later Picard's captain's logs, he has to make mention of the star date yeah. on which he's recording those those little journal entries or whatever. So, so it's a, a date? <laughs> according to Gene Roddenberry in The Making of Star Trek, star dates were originally created simply to keep from tying ourselves down to 2265. Mm, okay. Yeah, and to make clear sure. that Star Trek was set in the future, as if anybody had any question at all that Star Trek was set in the future. Well, okay. you know, it's good to clarify things. Right. 
Uh, there wasn't a method used to calculate this date, but the producers of the original show did keep a rough track of star dates, and there was some logic as to how they pr- they progressed. That's good because if they hadn't kept up with it, there would be a bunch of angry people editing, oh, you know, Wikipedia pages sure. all the time. But there's a however in here. Uh oh. However. As the show aired out of order from the production, uh, the star dates would sometimes go backwards. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how that's affected the Star Trek universe, as in the folks on, on Earth here who love Star Trek. Well, I am sure that we could find out if we wish. Yeah. I'm, I bet there's an entire panel about it at Dragon Con on the very bottom level, down there right next to My Little Pony Factor Fiction. My Little Pony is far bigger it's it's a far bigger deal. That that is not in the basement anymore. It's moved to the it's surface. it's moved to the main the main floor. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, actually, maybe in a future episode, we'll just look at some of the craziest panels at Dragon Con because that would be a really fun little segment. That would be. Anyway, this has been Fast Trek Terms. Bye. Thank you for listening to Side Talks Podcast, where your own personal cinematic Templeton the Rat in Charlotte. Oh, well. You're Templeton the I'm Rat, bitch. absolutely Templeton the Rat. <laughs> I would not dispute that. Oh, man. Thanks to Batwall Studios for hosting us, making us sound good, doing all that they do. Thanks to Splash 96 for our original music, which we love. So this is supposed to come out on Friday, August 27th, this episode. And if you're listening to this, Friday, August 27th happens to be opening night for the 23rd Annual Sidewalk Film Festival. You better get your ass there. It's a great film called Television Event. Guess what happens the night after, the morning after opening night? Uh, we do a Saturday podcast morning live. Cartoons, doing, yeah, and, podcast and a live, live. podcast. That's, live podcast that's live. That's more important to mention. I yeah, think. probably more important to mention. More, more germane. Come out and see us on Saturday, the 28th, at uh, the Sidewalk Cinema, where we're going to be doing, you know, three episodes in a row, recording them live with studio audience uh, present. So you can, I don't know, heckle us, I guess, the whole time. And you could come and you could get there in the morning and eat all the cereal you could possibly put into your body and then come to side talks live and possibly do what I did in in fourth grade. And that is eat a box of tricks because, because I was a latchkey kid and there was no control. And then I threw up all over my bio table and everybody hated me the rest of the year. Or don't do that. I mean, it would be possible <laughs> to not do that. Sidewalkfest.com, by the way, is where you can see the schedule of events and get your tickets and passes. Check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for up-to-the-minute updates of all the stuff going on at the festival, including, you know, when they are announced, uh, what films are going to be playing in the Encore blocks. Bye, bitches. See ya. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.